everyone. Welcome to Seeing Color, a podcast that talks with cultural workers and artists of color in order to expand the area of what is a predominantly white space in the arts. I'm your host, Ziwon Chong. Hey everyone, I hope you're doing well wherever you are. As I mentioned previously, I am currently part of the Rogers Art Loft Residency in Las Vegas. It's a virtual residency, and they've been putting me in touch with the local community and helping me meet people for the podcast. I've been speaking with quite a number of wonderful artists and cultural workers, and these conversations will be released throughout the summer and upcoming fall season. For today, I am excited to share with you the first one of these talks as I speak with Shahab Sagari, an Iranian-American filmmaker, record label owner, and musician. Shahab takes me through his journey from working in advertising to making his own independent films and what drives him to tell the stories that he tells. We also talk about pronunciation of names, Iranian films, Mad Men, and how he got a shout-out from Kevin Smith. Shahab also talks about his latest short film, Oh the Guilt, which is a coming-of-age story set in the 1990s featuring a Persian-American as the main character. The plot tackles death, loss, and survivor's guilt, elements of the human condition that transcend age, race, and creed. Check it out if you have the chance. Again, this episode was made possible through the Rogers Artloff Residency, and I want to thank them for this opportunity. I hope you all enjoy this. Going good. Uh, yeah. Working and, you know, hanging out with the kids and stuff. And yeah. How old are your kids? So in the fall, one will be starting ninth grade and okay. the other starting 12th grade. All right. Hormones so, pumping. Totally. We were on <laughs> lockdown with teenagers. So our kids are so good. They're uh-huh. they very well-mannered, but, and no, to no fault of their own, because teenagers, what you are about as a teenager is social interactions. Yes, and they got yes. zero of that. Yes. None. Yeah. Uh-huh. Maybe like a, a weird facsimile Instagram one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it was tough for them, man. It was tough for them. And then for us, I'm in my 40s and you know, I'm kind of at the chill stage yeah, things yeah. and yeah, you're yeah. on a high strung <laughs> moment, yeah. you know, but it's understandable high strung moment because we're on lockdown. Can't uh, see yeah. anybody, can't go anywhere. Uh, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens in the coming months. Hopefully, a clearer idea of how these things will pan out. Wanted to say I was really excited to talk to you. And again, for the listeners out there, this was sort of set up through the Rogers Art Loft Residency. So at the moment, I am a virtual uh, art resident, and I am conducting a bunch of uh, talks and interviews with local Las Vegas uh, artists and cultural workers. When I looked you up, Shahab, I was really excited about all the different kinds of work that you were doing. All the you wear so many hats, right? You're a filmmaker, you. record label owner, musician, photographer, <laughs> educator. Yeah. So I guess like you know, how did you get into all these different fields? So I, I almost feel like you know, and I've had lots of conversations with friends who are either musicians or traditional illustrators, and they're just like, why, like music and photography and this, what are you doing? Kind of, I almost feel again, like stepping out of myself and looking in Yeah, yeah. that it's almost doing it in spite of the people in the world who say, I cannot do that. 
the record label came out because Sony was not knocking on my door Mm -hmm. as a teenager with my bands. The types of music that we were doing. Yeah. Geffen just did not care about. I didn't want it to stop there. And so I figured out how to make CDs and seven inch vinyls and where you go. And okay, now I can cut out the middleman and this, you know, warehouse uh, near LAX has been pressing records for decades. Right, right. Uh, That kind of stuff. I like a lot of different things. I like media. I love art. My day job, I currently work in the dean's office at the College of Fine Arts at UNLV. Mm -hmm. And I sort of stumbled into that position in 2016. And I think it's been a symbiotic relationship. I feel like it's been really, really good, you know, on both sides in talking with other people or, you know, my father-in-law or whoever. And they're like, oh, well, do you do this for another college or would you do this kind of work for the university at large if that kind of a position came up? And the answer was it's usually just a, I don't know. Because yeah, yeah. working with the dance department and theater and film architecture, first of all, I'm looking at these crazy qualified faculty members doing some really actually cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then students that are doing next year's ideas, which is always cool. And it's the most event heavy college on campus. You know, it's right. Right. Everything I love and I love doing it and I don't mind being there, the extra, you know, whatever, you know, time to do this, to make sure we get the, you know, like, like for example, during COVID, most people work remotely. Right. And, you know, I did too. But then when there was the pop-up dance performance on the steps leading up to the 50 year old um, flashlight statue, we had to be there for that. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, the more, as you probably know, as a filmmaker and a musician and just content creator, the more material there is, the better. Right. But so I guess kind of pulling back a little bit. So I guess you worked way into the creative field through music did you were you born in LA I was born in LA and you know and I think that definitely made a difference I can definitely remember third grade everyone's bringing their dad to school their mom (laughs) to school for that the thing they always put in the sitcoms where it's like here's my dad on job day right yeah 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 and this girl literally brought her dad who wheeled in because this is the 80s right she Uh wheeled in the VHS player Uh the big huge TV pushed Uh play on Uh his behind the scenes footage of Poltergeist 1. Okay. And her dad had worked on the special effects of that. And I was just like, that memory is like ingrained (laughs) in my brain. Like that is probably the moment where I was like, no, I want to do that. Really? That is the job I want. Yeah. Hmm. But I didn't go that route, you know, uh, to a certain extent, you know, I'm Persian and my parents were always like, doctor, doctor, doctor. Yeah. Yeah. There was only so many ways I could say I would much rather do something else than memorize the number of muscles, you know, and the bones and all (laughs) that. Like, I just don't care to do that, you know? Yeah. Like my brain doesn't want to do that. Yeah. And I will flunk all those classes. And so I compromised. And went to liberal arts and Uh I got my degree in sociology. Uh I essentially took a whole bunch of classes and that ended up getting me a minor in education, which actually one of my professors was one of the ladies at Harvard who created Sesame Street. Okay. But the version that sucked before they brought Jim Henson in and they're like, this is not working. Help us. And he put puppets and it worked. Anyway, so she was, yeah, she was one of my education uh, professors. It was really, really good time. Graduated with sociology degree and I didn't 
So I loved it because, you know, it's all about how religion, politics, advertising mm-hmm. sways large masses of people mm. as far as ideologies and ways of thinking, you know, so mm. it really struck a chord. Uh, it was really easy for me to write 20 page essays on that huh. rather than memorizing muscles. Right. But when I graduated, I was like, okay, sociology, I really don't want to be a social worker. Mm-hmm. That's not my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. And during college, I was working at a bank and I just kind of kept that going mm. and it was cool. And I got married. What'd you do it there? I was, I worked the phones. I was job in college. And then I just, yeah. Okay. I just kept doing it. Yeah. I yeah, was already yeah. on HR. Okay. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, getting married, mm-hmm. all this stuff, have to be an adult. And I really hated it, man. I, every day walking into work, yeah. like putting my hand on those outer doors. It was just like, you yeah. can hear the, yeah, you know, yeah. Oh man, do not yeah. want to be here. And then guess what happened? What? That industry brought the economy to oh, its yeah, knees 2000, 2008. 2008. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So 2008, they were crushed. I was out of a job. Okay. So it was like perfect timing. My wife was starting her master's program, but she was doing it remotely. And this is way before COVID remote, right? Okay. Yeah. And so she was like, well, I could do it anywhere. I lost my job. Uh-huh. After all the years of living in California at this point, by 2008, we already had two kids uh-huh. with no job. I could not afford to live there. So yeah, LA is expensive. It's so, oh man, just so expensive. So she had grown up. So in the seventies, when Russia invaded Afghanistan, her family got out Okay, and is basically essentially moved to Las Vegas by the time she was one. Okay. Wow. Okay. She grew up in Las Vegas. Again, they all kind of came out at that same exact time. Yeah. So there's a clan of them in Las Vegas, <laughs> you know, so her family's here. Uh, whereas on the other side, for a lot of my life, it was just my nuclear family. Right. You know, everyone was kind, you know, some were refugee status, some weren't. So then we came to Vegas and I was able to kind of do what I thought I was best at. And so at that point, I still, I hadn't gone to film school. I hadn't really done any like honing of my filming skills. So I never really thought I could be a filmmaker, especially at that mm. point. I'm like, all I have on my resume is bank. And then before that, a drugstore, you know, like yeah. I have nothing. And so, but then you came at a perfect time though, right? Cause this is when video got really cheap, 2008 and keeps getting cheap. Did yeah, get yeah. cheap. Yes. Yeah. Equipment got cheap, but also almost just like COVID filming crews were out of work and they mm. needed that kind of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. Marketing departments, We're having to wheel and deal trades with essentially how we got the Luxor commercial. It was hard times and they were looking for someone who could be quicker than in-house, you know, in-house. That was your first video project, making a thing for Luxor? It wasn't my first video project. Like technically I've been making videos nonstop since I was a kid. VHS, camcorders, you know, but like So just like on your resume, yeah, yeah, yeah. On a resume, something that I could be like, that's the... Ben's yeah, yeah. commercial. That's yeah, the yeah. Nike one, right? Yeah, yeah. That level or just commissioned work. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when I moved to Vegas, I was like, what can I do? And again, I was in the mindset I just came out of the banking industry. Uh-huh. I don't, you know, I'm not a filmmaker, not an artist. Yeah. So my brother and I uh started an, a boutique ad agency. Uh-huh. And in 2008, there weren't really many of those around. It was a freelance guy or big R and R, Sachi and Sachi, big budget disparity there, right? Yeah. These days in Vegas, there's a ton. 
There's a ton of boutique agencies. A lot of them came from in-house marketing departments at, you know, this casino, that casino. Mm. And now they've branched off or they're this agency now kind of deal. Yeah. But back then there wasn't really anything like that. So we kind of caught this wave. Mm-hmm. Um, but before that, my brother owned a ballroom dance studio in Huntington Beach, California. Okay. It was infancy of YouTube. Okay. okay. Infancy. Infancy. So it's like this 2006? Just cat videos. This was 2000. No, 2003. Three. Okay. And we went to Fry's Electronics okay. in uh, Whittier. They just closed. Picked, which they just, all of them. I yeah, think, yeah, the yeah, whole, yeah. Like, yeah. The, everything. Because yeah. for a while they were ghost towns. Like it was like pockets like uh, yeah. of aisles. Anyway. Yeah, they, they went bankrupt, but um, got a little, like by today's standards, it's, it was a really crappy camera, but um, we got a camera uh-huh. and I said, okay, l- like, help me understand yeah. when I pay you a hundred dollars uh-huh. for a 45 minute lesson, what do I get? Uh-huh. And it really was quantifiable. He goes, yeah. So basically it's a hour long uh, lesson where we teach you three steps. Okay. And then you come in on Friday during the group party and you practice your three steps and that helps you get the repetition in. Mm -hmm. And then on your next lesson for the next hundred dollars, we teach you a new three steps. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, so each lesson is three steps. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to call this free Foxtrot lesson. Okay. Free. Free. Cha-cha lesson. Okay. We won't say it's just the first step of three, which is in fact the first step of 28 or whatever, right? But the first of three in one le- one actual lesson, right, right? Right, right, The guy and the girl, they introduce themselves and then guys part, girls part, together no music, together with music. So it mm. was like drawn out. It didn't just feel like just one step. You know, it seemed like it was actually instructional and it's about five minutes long and great. I'm going out with the girls tonight or whatever. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And we published them on Fridays and we would literally, and this was also infancy of Google analytics. We would see spikes in the web visits. It wasn't not being seen. It wasn't just uploaded to YouTube and no one saw it. Like people were anticipating it. Right. They saw it. They yeah, came yeah. to the party, right, or whatever it was. Kind of embarrassing, but I've left them all up on my personal YouTube channel. Oh, really? Channel. Okay. So if you do like a reverse <laughs> date thing, yeah, you can yeah. just see some embarrassing stuff. But there's also this dance. There's like 40,000 views, you know, 50,000 for, for a local regional thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the time, we had to do something because there was no Apple maps, right? You had to map quest and print it out and yeah, hope yeah. you would see it and just, uh, yeah. it wasn't working. It was, you know, so we had to do our own marketing. So when we got to Vegas, we were like, all right, well, that was marketing dude. Like, yeah. so I get here hitting the pavement, looking for work. It's the economy is crashing. Like yeah. banks got it first, then it was a domino. So as yeah. I'm looking, no one's hiring, everyone's scared, everything's shuttering. So I got a job at Timeshare. There are plenty out here, a okay. plenty. I can and, imagine, yeah. And I was only there eight months, dude. I couldn't hang. I couldn't hang. Economy is on the fritz, yeah. which means what? Every single person who wanted your free buffet tickets uh-huh. yeah. to sit here, yeah does not have disposable income like this is the setup for failure you're putting me on i see it and i don't want it i didn't say that i was just like i'm out of here but when i was leaving in that 
that industry, it's interesting, man. It's like a, I don't know, like a, like a small village. When they leave Wyndham, they go over to Westgate. And when they leave Westgate, they go over to this one, Miami and that one, whatever. Like they stay in this weird, like they're sucked in. Kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, so, yeah. Anyway, so he sits me down, the director of this place, and he goes, tell me, where are you going? I was like, with all due respect, let me just say, I'm leaving because, you know, with those sales jobs, they essentially give you a salary yeah. at the beginning of the month yeah. that is a loan. That is not your money. So instantly you're in a negative. They do this at car dealerships, all of those commission kind of things. Okay. It's a loan. Your paycheck shows a negative that when you actually get your paycheck and your commissions, you're supposed to get out of the hole. I did not know that. And if you sell enough Mercedes's, yeah. if you sell enough whatever, it'll balance out or you'll get a shit ton more money, okay. right? Depending on how well yeah, you sell. That's crazy. That's a crazy setup. I just couldn't get out of it, dude, with these guys. Yeah. I was like, so what I've... And, and during this entire time, I've survived three of your layoffs. It seems like I can kind of pitch things to people. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, so what I'm actually going to do is I'm actually going to go find people who they have a website that looks like it was built in 2001, <laughs> you know, and they're trying to sell pizzas or they're trying to sell whatever yeah. and get them to upgrade. Get yeah, them yeah. To, you know? Yeah, yeah. Come to the 21st century kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Post Y2K. So we started that business and doing that by the time we got to our 40th client. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That was the Luxor deal. It was, they couldn't wait the six months for in-house to shoot it. Okay. It was a thing where MGM Mirage, which is the parent company, okay, gave them ad dollars to spend and they had to use it kind of mm -hmm. thing. And yeah, we did a little bit of a wheel and deal. Like they gave us some cash, but they also gave us some trade. So we didn't have to come out of pocket for food or craft services see, see, or lodging, you know, any of that. So yeah, yeah. for cast crew, you know, it was, it was a pretty big crew. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen the TV show Mad Men or have you watched no, it? People keep telling me to watch it, <laughs> but I'm a little scared with like what, seven seasons, eight seasons. I suggest yeah. watch just season one. Okay. And if you absolutely hate it, then that's it. All You're right. done. It's a perfect, nice little end cap. It truly, truly is. Okay. All right. If you end up loving it, then keep watching it. You know, when it was live on TV, my yeah. wife would love it because it had all of the drama and the affairs <laughs> and the 60s romping, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I loved it whenever they went into the boardroom and they were trying to pitch a client because uh, that's exactly what I was doing when I got to Vegas yeah. and started this ad agency, Yeah, yeah. you know, and like the way he would overcome objections. I was like, like I had used a few of his lines really? in, in meetings <laughs> where, yeah, where people would be like, well, okay, I want X, Y, and Z. And you're like, oh, wow. X, Y, and Z. Cool. Come back two weeks later and they go, I hate everything about it. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so there's one episode, not to go into the TV show, but there's one episode where it's the 60s uh -huh. or maybe coming out of the 50s. And they're working with this Mormon swimsuit uh -huh. company. Yeah. And when the illustrator brings over the poster mock ups, and it was all hand drawn, there was no graphic design department. Um, and I love like the guy they picked to be the illustrator. So cool. But anyway, so he brings it in and they're like, oh, you know, basically it's too scantily clad. Like, yeah. We can't do this. This, uh -huh. is, this goes against who we are religiously. Okay. And, you know? <laughs> yeah. and Don Draper just looked at them and he says something along the lines of, I'm sorry. 
but this is exactly what you asked for. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and I definitely used that several times. Like, I'm sorry. This is exactly what you yeah, asked yeah. for. Like, yeah. Why were we talking about that show? Uh, Luxor. Oh, oh, so, so the role that the lead character in that plays is yeah. an account exec till he gets to whatever, but I had essentially that role. Okay. So I wasn't directing. I wasn't editing. I wasn't a gaffer. I wasn't a PA. I wasn't even a part of the filmmaking process Uh, outside of brainstorming on scripts in the meetings with the VP of marketing, hashing out whatever the deal ended up being. It ended up winning for Davy Awards at this national award thing. Communication if effectiveness uh-huh. it was script writing cinematography like we won four awards for this thing so when that <sighs> happened again as account manager on the account yeah. i was at the filming right so i, right, I right. saw what they were doing and how they were doing it and what the protocols were right the whole nine yards right? yeah yeah so i called the same producer i called zeus and I was like, okay, man, now that we've won awards for something that was commissioned work, I know I now have the confidence to do one of my own. Price me out. Like, this is this is the idea. How much will this cost if mm-hmm. we get crew and PAs and art directors? And, yeah. and at this point, he had been doing all kinds of stuff in LA, music videos. He hadn't quite dipped his toe into... Um, features yet really proud of him and his brother and things right, they're doing right, but right. i called him and i said no we got to do this it was like i'm, I'm gonna be a filmmaker i'm i'm going to make films this is the thing that in third grade when she brought her dad the and poltergeist special effects you know behind the scenes poltergeist thing i was like this is it yeah this i'm realizing that dream but but also let me say my directorial debut takes place in space okay right Also, to a certain extent, again, here's me trying to do something in spite of something. So essentially, I was a huge Star Wars fan growing up. Okay. Huge. And when the prequels came out, I was older than a teenager and I basically talked shit on it. Everyone did. (laughs) At this point, kids are like, you're crazy. This is amazing because they've grown up with it. But I hated it. I absolutely couldn't understand. So, So this was me putting my money where my mouth was or if you're gonna talk shit can you do better that was crystal crypt for me and you know we ended up getting into seven film festivals uh got two awards and one of those film festivals was san diego comic-con okay and so yeah yeah. it it was my twenty five thousand dollar film school (laughs) to a certain extent how'd you raise the money for this film that's an that's an interesting story there because you're doing like commercials and then you're like oh i want to do this film and then how did that jump happen it it actually it wasn't a jump as you would think because pre-production did start thinking about character designs thinking about the story we picked the story that was in public domain Mm mm-hmm and how to adapt it. You know, there was a whole flashback sequence. To be quite honest, if we would have shot everything exactly as it was in the book, it would have cost us $150,000. If, if our Kickstarter had hit that, yeah. we would have done that kind of thing, right? <laughs> so, you know, through different connections that we already had up until that point, we kind of got some cast together. We got some people. We threw some money at Facebook, did a crowdfunding. Yeah. Our goal was 25000 You know, that uh-huh. was Zeus's number. 
number, uh-huh. the number he gave me for that number of days of shooting and uh-huh. air conditioning and this and that. Yeah. Actually, we'll get back to air conditioning. We, we did not take air conditioning. We took that <laughs> off. But um, I mean, you had a whole set built. As I, I mean, I saw, I mean, I saw the pictures set, of it. Yeah. Like everything. So all of those costs and post-production, everything, 25 grand. We raised, I think it was 15,000 okay. by the time time ran out. Okay. And it was Kickstarter, so we got so, yeah, you got nothing, yeah, yeah. Nobody got charged, yeah, and we were just stuck there. And at that point, we got over eight million impressions on all of the marketing that we did, and we had the husband and wife team already locked in, ready to go. They're ready to do this project, yeah. And I didn't want to lose that. And I also, you know, again, we had put so much work into pre-production storyboards and and the month-long you know harrowing ordeal of doing a crowdfunding right? yeah yeah didn't, i didn't want all that to go to waste yeah so i was sitting on the bank retirement account that i had that was just kind of stuck there since 2008 uh-huh. and i was like oh Penalty. Okay. I liquidated the entire retirement account, took out a couple of credit cards okay. and we shot it. Really bad advice as far as my, my accountant was concerned, yeah. right? But yeah. it paid off in the end. I knew, I knew that if what we worked on got four awards at the Dadies, we could do something that we were passionate about. Yeah. You know, and again, something that had substance to it that was a film, a story about terrorism and the other and who mm-hmm. is who is the bad guy, who right. is the terrorist, right? Right, right. <clears throat> like important stuff and not come gamble. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting to have a panel at Comic-Con, getting to get those awards and just to have every time there's a screening, people love it. It made it all worth it. And that was my trajectory into where I am today, where when I introduce myself, even though I do music. Even though I do a lot of photography, photography, you know, photography and video, it's all lighting, it's all composition. Yeah, it's quite they're they're quite similar in a lot of different ways. The the output is different, the digestion is different. Yeah, yeah, lighting and composition. Yeah, Uh yeah, the storytelling is up to whoever you know. Right. Is doing it. But I don't introduce myself as a photographer. I'm not well suited for the weddings and you know that (laughs) kind of thing. Nature, which is huge. That's huge in Las Vegas. That's where all the money is, right? That's where all the money is. But yeah. I can't do that. It, it, <laughs> it would be just like me going back to tell the, the uh, yeah the bank timeshare yeah or the bank yeah, right? yeah I just yeah. I don't care enough about this yeah you know again going back to the music I care so much about that that I'll even take a hit put this out into the world. Right, right, right. Anyway, so that was the long-winded version of how I got into all this. I mean, I think that's important in the sense that like, kind of like what you're talking about, you, you know, your parents were sort of pushing you towards one path, you compromise, and it kind of took you time to kind of figure out how to manifest this thing that didn't seem like a reality, right? My parents and my wife's parents have really been good on that front. I mean, and both sets of parents moved here for us. You know what I mean? So when you say here, you mean Vegas or or the States? I mean, United States. Okay. Yeah. 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 Her parents, Afghanistan, my parents, Iran. Yeah. So that we could have the opportunities that America would offer kind of thing. Um, and so still continuously to this day, when she was in getting her master's, we already had two kids. We had just moved to Las Vegas. We actually lived with them for a while. And, mm. you know, so again, then that's in a sense, a financial kind of thing. 
also they loved being with the kids and yeah, you know, yeah. it was win-win. It was win-win, but definitely a huge support. But also uh, Gila, my wife, she puts up with a lot <laughs> from me. The bar joke there is that I'm the gas and she's the brakes. Uh-huh. Right? It's not really that way. She's not the brakes, but she is a realist. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm science fiction. She's nonfiction. And it it works well because it brings me to, you know, but, but she supports everything though, you know? And like, so this August is our 20 year wedding anniversary. Wow. Okay. Um, We have quite a bit of compromising. Well, we have compromising down. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Let's just say that. But. Yeah. And I also come up with the cockamamie ideas. Yeah. I also do all the crazy things, mm-hmm. right? So here's another funny story. My third film, My Name is Art. The impetus for that was my really good friend, Jackson Ellis, who coincidentally wrote the story for my newest film. We've known each other for a long time. Uh-huh. We had the record label. He had a magazine out of the East Coast, out of Vermont, uh-huh. called Verbicide, and he would sell us ads in his magazine. So we okay. knew each other for a long time, right? Then his wife uh, into UNLV in their architecture program. Okay. So he moved here. We ended up hanging out and all this stuff. Then they moved back to Vermont. Life goes on. Uh-huh. Crystal Crypt happens. I go into Utah in 2015 to shoot a Stephen King fan film that we had an actual successful crowdfunding campaign on. Okay. Okay. So we did that. And then he calls me and he goes, Hey, so you know what, 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 what's the next film you're working on? Cause again, by this point I'm doing commercials, I'm doing music videos, I'm doing commissioned stuff, but my films are my art, right? That is my art kind of. So He's like, when's the next one? Like, what are you going to be working on? And in jest, I said, well, Gila says the next time I film something, I have to be getting paid, <laughs> you know, as opposed to paying yeah. or borrowing yeah, more yeah. stuff. Like yeah, yeah. Crypt, just like a student loan, just like a whatever. Like I'm some of those credit cards, I'm still paying those off. I, yeah. I'm chipping away. Yeah. Again, no regrets. No regrets for that because it helped launch. People are yeah. so scared to leave a career. Yeah, it got you to where you are right now. And, and you need the, it was the blanket. Someone else would have put toward a storefront or right. something. Right, right, right. So yeah, so unluckily, unfortunately, how you think about it, you know, I'm still paying that off. Um, anyway, so I, I said that in jest, right? Yeah. Uh, she, she said, I can't spend any more money, right? <laughs> so we hang up. He calls me the next day. Yeah. He's like, hey, man, I just had a dinner with my brother. And you know, his brother is a writer and has done screenplays that have become short films and you mm-hmm. know different things. He was like, hey, I just wrote a script that would probably cost a hundred bucks to shoot. So he recalled the conversation we had and called me as soon as he could and was like, Hey, my brother says you can shoot this for a hundred bucks to see if you like it. Right. So he sends it over. I'm won over by the story. It's, It's a very, very Alfred Hitchcock presents Rod Serling's Twilight Zone type story. And I love those shows and to get a chance to do a love letter to rod serling is just i couldn't pass it up right so i called jackson back and i was like this is going to cost at least a thousand plus favors but i think we can do it <laughs> and we did it it cost a little more than that and we did a crowdfunding for that one too uh to help pay for the score i, I saw i saw it i saw it right before t- talking with you oh today yeah yeah, yeah. 
uh, on the Vimeo on demand sort of thing. But I was curious about it because you kind of wrote a bit about it. You know, you talked about it being this sort of diverse cast, including three main actors who are Filipino, Mexican, French, Moroccan descent. And in your artist statement, you talk about sort of this interest in dealing with these themes of race, politics, morality, and more specifically, you talk about these sort of superficial misconceptions that arise from these Mm -hmm. topics. I'm curious if you could talk a little bit more about what are these superficial misconceptions and sort of, you know, how they sort of inform these films that you're making. I mean, you briefly kind of touched upon it with the Crystal Krypton talking about terrorism, this idea of the Mm -hmm. other. Um, and I also see bits of that, you know, happening in the film that you were just introducing. My name is Art as well. You know, from the get go, personally, I really love science fiction. And we could really honestly say it was Star Wars's fault. Right. <laughs> um, but the thing that I like about it and that the reason why I gravitated toward it is because science fiction, what it is, is setting up scenarios that yeah. are a mirror to the social and political problems of our times right with a lens that says hey let's put it on a different planet let's put it on an alternate earth let's make it not here so that we can all be third parties to this and see what is going on and, yeah you, know, you see that even in books from like Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. Yeah, yeah. Right? Where yeah. it's the future. You know, every, babies come out of factories and all yeah, that, yeah, right? Yeah. So um, I've always loved that. Always loved the execution of it. I always enjoyed those kinds of stories. Also because of those aspects to it, where it wasn't just fluff. So science fiction, I absolutely love it. With My Name is Art, your question was more general. I, Maybe I shouldn't attach it to one film or another. I don't want to sound like a broken record where you see, you know, people of color on Twitter or wherever talking about things and, you know, re-talking about things. But there are just stories that historically haven't been told. Hollywood has has been very, very one-sided in that. Just looking at from the birth of cinema, which is really not that long ago right? As an industry, as an art form, it is one of the newest kids on the block, right? It's still trying to figure things out. I mean, you look about the written word books, published books, uh, centuries, right? Yeah. Imagine what filmmaking will be centuries in. Okay. Well, we're not centuries in. We're essentially one century, right? Yeah. And so this is the birth where we are witnessing the birth of cinema And the birth of cinema was mostly about white men. Right, right, right. And not not even about them. Not, you know, go go and watch Turner Classic Channel. Go and watch like the stuff that they would show you in film history class. Right, right. Some of the classics. And you look at the credits, it's all men or mostly white men. Right, right, And so even if it's a grip or a, a sound boom holder, right? Like all of that testosterone, all of that white privilege, all of that, whatever. Right. Right. Was by osmosis leaking into the content and leaking into the perceptions and perspectives. John Carpenter, like awesome. But then like, what was that big trouble? Little China. Yeah. 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 What I ultimately hope is that people who do not see the world my way, see these stories, not necessarily mine, but any, you know, science fiction kind of setup. Right. 
And then they maybe think a different way or maybe see a different perspective, you know? Mm -hmm. So that automatically I gravitated toward that. Also, historically, whether it be my own personal experience with the TV film industry or just in general, again, going back to all the, you know, looking at the credits, it's all a bunch of white guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like we have not historically been a part of crews or definitely not cast. Yeah, yeah. We have tons of white people we work with. (laughs) You know, it's not a, we don't want to work with any white people at all. You know, we are craftsmen and we work with other craftsmen, like whatever that may be. Like if it's art director or what have you. Yeah. And um, like films really are a collaborative thing. And so giving those kinds of opportunities has been, I mean, again, I'm not working on Disney level stuff, but whatever I can do. I think whatever I can do will then inspire and then maybe pull in the pond kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I hone my brain as a sociologist. Mm -hmm. I love those kinds of, right? So psychology is the study of one individual, Mm -hmm. the individual's brain. Mm -hmm. And sociology is society, right? So I love those conundrums. In fact, I almost feel like it makes me care too much about things in the world and politics and war. And I have very, very distinct stakes in the ground, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm very vocal about them, especially when it comes to being anti-racist, you know, being accepting of all and things of that nature. And I saw, I mean, I think, and I don't know, kind of bringing it back a bit to most recent film that you're talking about, My Name is Art, and I'm also speaking about that since I was able to see it. I sense that sort of, you know, what you're calling these superficial misconceptions and these subtle things and topics surrounding it and this idea at least in the film for those of you who haven't seen it is the main characters of constantly asked what is your name and i saw that as a sort of questioning of place questioning of identity um, and being Mm -hmm. asked over and over and over again and it definitely made me cringe a lot watching the main character being asked over and over again to the point of being uncomfortable yeah and you know, maybe kind of a little bit of authority thing, maybe kind of a little bit of that's how police officers or FBI agents or whatever do talk to people who aren't even suspects yet, Mm -hmm. you know, things of that nature. But I also feel different people who watch it will get different aspect out of it. Like I know, you know, white males who have watched it and voiced aloud that hey man if someone would have crossed the threshold into my house kind of thing i would have i would have i would have punched them yeah 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 exactly i would have done something or i would have punched his lights out or whatever yeah whereas someone of color might have watched that and been nervous from the start i really love that kind of brought it into identity as well because that's a layer that's a layer underneath which is not on the surface um kevin sanders himself who is a very good friend and i've I've done lots of projects with him in fact i'm doing a project with him right now where we're doing little sketch comedy thing it's pretty fun like a writer's room kind of thing so you know my identity am i iranian i've never set foot in the country Mm -hmm. i was born in la and i've always lived in the United States. Do Am I Iranian? Um, Iranians don't think so. They think I'm American. Am yeah. I American? I'm constantly being told to go back to my home. So yeah. that's my duplicate kind of um, dichotomy going on. But Kevin's dichotomy, his father is a white serviceman and his mom is Filipino. Mm-hmm. You know, so he has that 
Like, who are you? Right. Yeah. Again, like, so the two of us kind of really brought that to the story. Um, again, not overtly. And so, you know, I, I do think it's interesting. I do like that you sort of picked up on that. For me, it was sort of hard not to think about that, right? This, Like you were talking about this sort of authoritative figure questioning you. I mean, um, it reminded me more, not necessarily of what's your name, but people constantly asking, like, where are you from? And, you know, you might, for you, oh, you might say LA, you. I might say yeah. I'm, I'm from New Hampshire, New York or something. And they're like, no, but where are you like yeah. really from? Right. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like your name, totally. your answer isn't an acceptable answer. Right. And sort of like, and you know what, film. let's just, let's just put a real quick pause on that real quick. I do want to say we named our daughters, Matob and Arazu. Okay. So that they would experience those types of experiences. Mm -hmm. they, I already know that they are now second generation or third generation. So my parents were immigrants. Yeah. So they are was it second or third? I always get it mixed I up. I always get anyway, confused. Anyway, so very far removed, right? Very far removed from any homeland that they know of. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Speaking English and on Instagram and TikTok, right? Yeah, yeah. So I knew that was going to happen. I, I did want them to get into those conversations. Yeah, yeah. And answer like, well, you know, it's, I'm half Iranian, half Afghan, which is another funny thing in itself, talking yeah. about dichotomies. Yeah. Because depending on the part of the world you're from, they either are or are not mixed. Race. Right, right, right. <laughs> Here, oh yeah, they're Middle Eastern. Cool. Yeah. Not really over there. You know, there's there's different countries, man, with different histories languages and, and, and histories. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, foods, foods, like the, the types of food that the two of our families eat, it's so different. Yeah. The spices, the mm -hmm. flavors, I mean, wildly different. See that those are the kinds of ways that we need to get people to stop thinking with art. <laughs> like regions, like listen up racists. There's a New York accent isn't there. There is a LA accent isn't there. There's an accent in Houston, right? Someone yeah. in Houston is technically speaking English. Yeah. Someone in London <laughs> is technically speaking English, but when those two talk to each other, they barely understand the slang, the vocabulary, right? Yeah, so yeah. Why is it so hard for you to understand that? I don't know. In terms of also groupings, according to, you know, the, the idea of like, you know, the Oriental, supposedly that whole mm -hmm. region spans from the Middle East all the way to, you know, the most totally. Eastern part of Asia, the sort of Oriental versus Occidental, right? And the, the strangeness mm -hmm. of classifying that whole region as one. Exactly. So, so were your, were your parents, you know, did, were they thinking about that when they gave you your name Shahab? Did they try to get you have a nickname um, or did you have a nickname when you were growing up? No, you know, the only nickname I ever had, uh, only three people have ever used it and all of them have used it almost naturally, if that makes sense. It yeah, is their yeah, natural yeah. name for me, you yeah. know? Uh, yeah. Otherwise, well, and I had really horrible nicknames and uh, that I was called in junior high, but that's I'm sure they weren't my nickname. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, like Shahabit, because I was always short. Uh, like, oh, he's a hobbit, Shahabit. Mm, mm, yeah. Or because I was Persian, Shahab Shish Kebab. And I'm like, okay, okay great, mm -hmm. funny. No. And in fact, when I had the timeshare job or the whatever, or, you know, I was trying to hawk advertising, this advertising company we started. Yeah. People would say, man, you know, you should change your name. And I never wanted to do it. And again, it's me putting my stake in the ground. I do that very, you know, often. Yeah. If you don't want to do business with me because of my name, then I really don't want to do business with you yeah. either. You know, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. where yeah. I live. Yeah. Yeah. And 
to a certain extent, screw you, buddy. My name, there, there are so many names on this planet and some of them are so hard and some of them are so long and yeah. several syllables. Yeah. My name is two, two. syllables. Yeah. yeah. Like looking at it from an American point of view, it is phonetic as fuck. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. There is only one way of sounding the 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 sh sound <laughs> the sh sound there is no it's that's what it is right yeah now, and then a b at the end okay a b can sometimes be silent in english yeah but never after an a you you know and i yeah. always growing up i'd be like dude this is your fucking language i know this is your language the one you make fun of me for the one you want me to go to my home to stop talking right yeah. like yeah. Your rules, your grammar, your phonetics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can't say this name, this two-syllable name. Like, come on. And yeah. I, so truthfully, depending on what country you're from, my name is said differently. Arabs say Shihab. Mm-hmm. It's almost like an S-H-E. Mm-hmm. You know, Iranians, and it's funny, my wife's family, they're Afghan, right? And Afghanistan and Iran, they both speak Farsi, but two totally different dialects. Yeah. And Afghans, you know, the secret that they hush say with each other when Iranians aren't around and, uh-huh. and laugh and giggle is that Iranians have a sing-songy kind of way of talking. And okay. it's so true. It okay. is so true. It's almost like it's always poetry which or is, which song, is great, though. and it's not, which is great. But then, yeah, then you hear Afghans and it's like all the vowels are shorter. <laughs> Things are um, conju- not conjugated, but when you put the apostrophe and you kind of, what is that called? Where you join words together. Yeah. I don't, I don't know the drawing the, a blank, but yeah. I don't know com- the compound com- word. I feel like there's a more anyway. fancy word for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, what, you know, one thing that I was going to, you know, I always say is sort of like, you know, Americans have figured out how to say, you know, Chekhov and Americans have check- figured out how mm-hmm. to say like super califragilistic expialidocious, which is totally. an insane. Daenerys Targaryen. <laughs> yeah. Daenerys Targaryen. Like, that's insane, you know, or learning all of um, that made up language in Star Trek and the made up language in Klingon, in, dude, totally, <laughs> exactly, exactly. In uh, Lord of the Rings. And then you look at Shaha and you freak out like, come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but actually, I was, yeah. my parents actually were scared and they had my name as Chris when I was growing up. And I actually, I. Switched. Well, what's your ethnicity? Uh, I'm Chinese, Chinese American. So all of the Chinese friends that I've had and all of the families that I've known, everyone has an American name. Yeah, Yeah. That doesn't really happen with Japanese families. Well, I guess Filipinos already kind of sort of. Yeah, I mean, they were colonized by Spanish and all that. Right, 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 right. So is that like a thing? Is that like... I don't know. Assimilation thing or just a... I think it's a mix of assimilation. I also think... Um, I know a lot of the early immigrants, especially Chinese, came from southern China, especially in Hong Kong. There's a lot of um, Christian names that sort of were adopted. Mm. Um, And then especially with um, interesting the Chinatowns, people who were there through multiple generations. That's just, you know, many generations of Chinese Americans that have assimilated and at that point probably maybe lost the ability to speak Chinese or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, so, like my kids' kids or whatever. Yeah, so I think it's sort of like that. I mean, all my students have English names, uh, you know, at my university that I teach at. Um, and hmm. 
But it's not official or it is? Is it a part of their paperwork or it's just what you call them? It's part of their paperwork in the university. Yeah, see? But the students don't call each other. They actually, the students don't know each uh. other's English names, which is funny. So if I, huh. if, if I'll like say like, So I don't it was know, school, um, school um, provided. Or they, they give some English name to the school. I'm not sure. And then. Uh, Interesting. But like my dad's name is Ambrose. My mom's name is Yvonne. They came during college. So, and their name they got while they were in uh, high school. And then they met here? They met or yeah. in the US? I mean. Yeah, yeah. They met in Chicago. <laughs> That's cool. But yeah, so I, I was Chris. and But then I did have a Chinese name, Ziwan. And then with my sister and brother, my sister's Hoi Wan, my brother's Ken Wan, they didn't bother giving them English names. So, you know, it took me oh. 27 years to get comfortable with my Chinese name. And then I officially took it off my uh, birth certificate. So, wow. Yeah. So, my name is Art. Um, this long, yeah, long round I'm glad you tangent. watched it. Yeah. I guess one small thing that I know is sort of the, the Chinese girl painting by uh, Vladimir Trekhikov. Mm-hmm. And, and sort mm-hmm. of, I thought that was like a nice touch. I mean, the way I read that was sort of like, you know, this sort of Russian painter kind of um, visualizing or embodying what they imagine to be this, this the Oriental, right? Some Chinese Chinese woman. Yes, that's great, man. Yeah, you, you really paid attention, especially for just first viewing. But yeah, production design on that was done by Denise Hexamer. And mm. she really has an eye for that style. Mm. And so everything she brought to the table was like, yes, let's definitely use it. Yeah. So yeah, the, the painting was all her, man. Yeah. She thought it fit very, very well. Yeah. You know, yeah. to the themes and um, just super smart addition. And it was her cat in the movie as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a cute cat. I'm allergic to cats, so I, I can't I have to minimize. I'm allergic around. to cats too. But they have that protein. Mostly that protein. male cats. But oh, okay. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Whenever it's a male cat, like my eyes close up, I, my breathing gets like, like you can hear the tendrils like yeah you know yeah yeah (laughs) but otherwise with female cats i just i'm I'm sneezing yeah and it's like hay fever it's really weird still haven't figured out some cats are more allergic to than others but haven't really fully figured out which ones (laughs) i just know i'm allergic so that's enough you know i don't want to have to do a test with it and it's funny people always like oh how did you get the cat to do what you wanted i did not we didn't we whatever we shot we used how we could. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Um, and I guess I think, as I understand, the latest thing that you're working on is this film called Oh, The Guilt. And actually, the first thing I saw was sort of that Kevin Smith intro. I don't know if you want to talk about uh, yeah. what happened yeah, with that. kicks it, off the trailer. Did you meet Kevin Smith? So I didn't meet Kevin Smith. We were in talks and he was supposed to you know, kind of say something, but he wasn't supposed to say what he did. Like He, he didn't have to say any of that. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? All he was going to do was be like, Yo, I support this guy. Check out his film. And how'd you get in contact with him? I subscribe on his YouTube channel. And, you know, he was kind of talking about his daughter is uh, making her own film. And Uh so we're just kind of talking a little bit. And I honestly, at this point, I don't even know what of my films he's seen. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what he's seen, but he was like, dude, I dig it. And, you know, I'm totally down. And then like the whole, like, he's better than me thing. I was like, what, dude? Like he totally like, I don't want to say fan service is the wrong thing. You know, that's like doing something that fans absolutely love, but you know. Yeah, yeah. He does the con circuit. He does, filmmakers like him would not be where they are without their fans, without right. their right. Yeah. trusty, loyal followers and stuff. And so yeah. he, he was nice enough about it. And I didn't know when I was going to get it kind of mm, thing. Mm. And when I got it, I was like, oh my God, dude. He like, he was like, yeah, he's going to replace me. I was like, oh my God, dude. <laughs> like he literally did not have to say any of that. The pressure's on. Yeah, yeah, dude. It was going to be just like a, I don't know, you know, like, like a thing that comes up in between podcasts yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah, and he yeah. went over and above. And yeah. I'm so like thankful and happy like beyond that then there was no conversations you know what i'm saying he went yeah. and did his thing and he's doing his thing almost almost a very similar story with sean astin who cameos in the new movie like him on speed dial yeah yeah <laughs> you know? yeah so and when 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 is on the guilt coming out i know you probably can't talk too much about it but we're doing film festival circuit right now hmm. and actually the big thing that we have to decide is when we want to open it up for online viewing whether it's vimeo hmm. on demand yeah, yeah. or amazon prime or whatever yeah because historically with my films I don't share it anywhere with, I mean, obviously the people who helped us on crowdfunding and that was their pledge level, right? Yeah. The pledge level required a immediate, as soon as the film is done thing. Okay. That's different, right? right. They get it right away right. before anyone else. Right. But like actual, like out there in the wild, not until the film festival circuit is exhausted. So you should follow Think Speak Films. Okay. And when we announce a film festival in your city, go watch it because things are opening up again. And I really, if you want to watch it. Yeah, on the, see it on the big on screen. On the big screen. Yeah. On the big screen, in the dark where your phone is away. Yeah. I also do want to <clears throat> give a shout out to uh, Brooke Herndon, who's also uh, one of our collaborators on My Name is Art, as well as Oh, The Guilt. Uh -huh. She wrote the score, produced it. She's amazing. And can you quickly talk, like, what is the synopsis for Oh, The Guilt? Like, I, I, I earlier I talked about what I like and what I like to watch and what I like to create is science fiction. Yeah. What I didn't realize I was doing, I did not realize I was doing this with my films. I was just making films, right? was I was taking turns at different types of sci-fi. So the Crystal Crypt is a space saga. Mm -hmm. Okay, It takes place on a ship in between a flight from Mars to Earth, right? That was me trying to do my own Phantom Menace, right? So space kind of thing. Mm -hmm. My second one was more of a Western. It's a cowboy teaching his student how to shoot uh, is the ultimate premise. So that was sci-fi because it technically took place in a different planet right but you know western third one science fiction but under the framework of a thriller mm -hmm. um but between the confrontations at the door and the burglar i mean it's all like suspense right oh the guilt is science fiction but with the framework of a drama mm. and again i didn't know i was doing this i didn't know i was trying out my hand at different flavors. But again, maybe that's my, going back to the original beginning of the conversation. Is that my personality? Am I trying all these different things because mm. I have to, you know, or something? I don't know, right? Is that some underlying thing? And so the premise is 
this um, Iranian American in the 90s. I mean, essentially where I was at in the 90s, right? Teenager mm-hmm. uh, during the time that Nirvana's huge all mm-hmm. over the radio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, punk rock, you know, colored hair, all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And she ends up finding plaid. out plaid. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Before I go further, I've always wanted to do a coming of age story. Mm, Okay. I just didn't know how, what, where, when, right? And then, of course, you know, my, uh, again, going back to I've been, I always shoot and I've been shooting video forever, but commission work came later. Yeah. I had done an entire cooking show on YouTube, which got just as many views as those. What were you cooking? So here's the funny part. We never cooked once. There was oh, okay. never an episode where we cooked. What you do? We we put stuff in the oven. Okay. Uh, we made skewers. You know, it was more, okay. <laughs> it was like snacks. You okay. know, okay. like hummus wraps and okay. yeah. shit like that. Right? Yeah, like hot dogs. But you know. Yeah, yeah. Banana dog, mm-hmm. where it's like a, a hot dog bun. You put a banana in it, and mm-hmm. smother it in peanut butter and jelly, and that's your banana dog. That kind of stuff. Yeah. So it was there was never any cooking, but it was called Matob's Big Kid Cooking Show. Okay. And um, I had years and years, you know, and of course, you know, dad always has a camera and he's always shooting and they've been on set. And when we shot Crystal Crypt, Gila and Matob were both on set. Uh-huh. with speaking roles, you know, so they've been in and out of it. And I directed her many a times and she was turning 16, like literally the age for it. And I was like, man, like she will bring the authenticity to it. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Even though she's not graduated from college actor, right, actress, right, right. right. Yeah. She is in theater in high school. She is working on that craft. Yeah. 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 And she's this perfect age where she can set, like, she doesn't even have to act, but you know, like theater, high school theater, that is different. That is projection. That is a completely different mode of acting. Right. And so, but in that decade and a half of directing her and knowing she knows how I come at her with suggestions, with whatever, I knew it was like a perfect situation. Mm Mm-hmm. So Jackson and I wrote it with Matub's help. We kind of spun this story. And then we reached out to my friend Rudy, who got her MFA at UNLV in screenwriting. And I said, neither Jackson nor I were ever teenage females. And this character is an Iranian teenage female, which is exactly what you were. Mm. Granted, she was in Iran and during those teenage years, more than likely she was, you know, hiding from Iraqi bombs that were hitting, but nevertheless, right? So we we did a cast and crew screening at UNLV and because they hosted, we allowed UNLV film students to kind of come in and, you know, do a Q&A. A lot of them came in through Zoom. Yeah. And whatnot. But something that came out that I didn't even know about was that the traumas that she got from her time as a teenager there, hmm. as well as Brooke, who wrote the score, her father passed away when she was a teenager. Hmm. And so Rudy and Brooke brought this perspective I never would have had to the mm. project, brought yeah. the tenderness. It's, it's palpable. Yeah. That a female wrote this, you know, Mm -hmm. and different things that Rudy brought to our attention. So the premise is she wakes up, her mom tells her, I'm sorry, your best friend just passed away. Mm -hmm. 
she gets not depression, but she gets really sad and can't sleep. So she mm. starts getting this insomnia. So she goes to the doctor and they prescribe her a sleeping pill. In taking the sleeping pill, she ends up dreaming about her best friend, but very quickly and without any real spoilers, because that's not you know the point of it, they find out that it's really them. Hmm. But it's them from two different worlds. Mm-hmm. And they're somehow, they just got prescribed. Like, it's almost like their destinies are so intertwined. Right, right. That these best friends in different timelines or dimensions or whatever you want, however you want yeah, to imagine yeah, it, yeah, yeah. both got prescribed the same medication that like, hey, you better go to sleep when you take it. Yeah. You have lucid dreams, yeah, blah, blah, yeah. blah, 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 right? Yeah. Hallucinations, take yeah. it when you're going to bed. So they think, oh my God, it's hallucination. And they quickly come to realize like, no, no, somehow we are so connected. Our destinies are so connected that this drug opened a portal for us Mm. and we can be here and all this stuff. Anyway, so then it's a race to prove that they're not crazy and that it's actually happening kind of thing, kind of story. But um, so I won't, I won't divulge anything more than that, but um, the title of the film does come from a Nirvana track. Um, that was called Oh the Guilt. Um, and it just it just paired very well with Kurt Cobain's death does come up in the film. Mm. Um, you know, she says things like when you passed away, all I wanted to do was listen to all apologies on repeat, <laughs> right? That kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of little East like 90s like in Easter eggs in there. Does your daughter um, know who Nirvana was called is? waiting? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I love music and always play it in the car. And I always have a full iPod or a phone or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but we also have vinyl. I have over a thousand. And oh, records wow. and they have definitely if she's wearing a nirvana shirt or a beatles shirt and someone at costco is like do you even know who that is she actually does <laughs> you know what i mean <clears throat> but they do they they do know and in fact actually i'm not i'm making myself out more important than i am dude the 90s are in right now yeah mom yeah, jeans yeah, yeah, I 90s know, music I know. 90s everything so dude pants, it really was oversized shirts. serendipitous yep so she was into it it was perfect hmm. but then rudy taking her traumas from the iran iraq war as a teenager as a female and brooke of the loss of her father and those feelings and ah man right i'm so excited um for people to see it yeah, me too. I'll, I'll keep an eye on it, although I'll probably have to stream it online. That's actually, I guess, a good thing, too. Um, a lot of these festivals will either have a virtual component or all virtual. Yeah. But again, I, I implore. And, and this this goes for anyone listening. If you're going to watch The Crystal Crypt, if you're going to watch My Name is Art or Oh the Guilt, do it in the dark and as loud as possible. If, if you can, you know, if you can do those two and just kind of, even if you're on, you know, I, I hope not, but even if you're on your phone or tablet in bed, you know, in the dark, like mimic a movie theater mm-hmm. and, and that'll highly enhance the experience. Yeah. Cause that's how it's, that's how it's meant to. That's what they, that's what they the say. Experience. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know, I know what you mean. I mean, I do a lot of, um, you know, art videos as well. And it always, I always feel it looks better on a dark room, on a big projector screen, mm-hmm. but can't always, always can't always get that. But yeah, yeah. Um, I have two random last things I wanted to talk to you about. Um, but I guess one was: Have you seen the Iranian slash Iranian American film "A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night"? And 
Yes. And what did you think of that? Because I, I love that film, but I talked to an Iranian guy after and he had a completely different view, but I was curious what you thought of that film. I loved it. Yeah. I absolutely, I loved the music. I loved the black and white. Yeah. I loved the quality. I loved um, the fact that it was all in Farsi. Yeah. I love the, because so it's not like Bollywood, but Iran has a... Hollywood. They have like I think it was a few years back, dude. Vice did a two or three part YouTube series on Iranian cinema. And they go through the history from oh, the beginning wow. of it to yeah. current. Yeah, just look it up, dude. Vice Iran cinema. Okay. It's really pretty cool. Like even I learned a bunch of shit from it. And I like I was writing down films names and stuff. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And also here's another recommendation for you and the listeners. One of my all time, just as a quick adjacent, my one of my all time favorite Iranian films ever uh-huh. is called Children of Heaven. Okay, it was so well received that essentially Miramax picked it up. So it's a mirror. It's distributed by Miramax. Okay, I don't know if you can stream it anywhere, but that means there's DVDs. That means yeah, you yeah. can find it somewhere. Okay. Absolutely beautiful film that takes place in Tehran. That is through the eyes of two little children elementary school sized children and their hopes and their dreams as poor kids of a day laborer essentially yeah. you know man it's so good it's so good i cry i've never been to iran i'll look it up and it's I'll just, look it up it's yeah. beautiful but bringing it back to iranian cinema they churn out films they churn out illegal stuff where it's like the biting you know hollywood storylines right, you know what i'm right, saying right, where it's right. like it, oh wait that's Groundhog's Day. <laughs> you know, this is Ghostbusters. What? You know, they, they do a lot of that kind of stuff too. But no, there's a very, very serious uh, Iranian cinema. Again, not as big as Bollywood, but they do always have a as much of an agenda as they can push. You know right, what I'm saying? Right, it's, and right. it's always very artsy and it's always very, you know what? Actually, can you repeat the question? Because I feel like I'm <laughs> veering very far. What was the question? Just, I was curious what you thought of A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. The Iranian guy I talked to, he's from Iran and, and I met him. He was studying in the U.S., and his point was sort of like, as I understand it, the two characters actually don't really speak Farsi well and or they were just phonetically saying stuff. And to him, he was just like, oh, it's just a bunch of Iranian Americans making a weird film. That was his. That was, so, that was so, his. And that's all it was. To, take. And, and yeah. to, to be quite honest, that is all it was because it was shot in California. Yeah, 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 yeah. By some Iranian Americans, you yeah. know. And so, yeah. But, but see, the reason I liked it, talking about Iranian cinema, it broke a lot of those yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like the BJ in the car, the... I love the film, but like, I think the, it was interesting because like that was not even the pretext to my entering that film, you know? Right. And right, I wouldn't right. even have but, picked but again, up on the fact again, that Farsi you know, was... It's, yeah, it's, yeah. I don't know. I, I, not that he was being snobby about it because like I said, every 100% of what he said was true. But that doesn't mean it wasn't good. And that doesn't mean it wasn't, dude, it was so clever and so beautiful. And so maybe for him and the accents and he couldn't do it, right? Yeah, yeah. But for me as an Iranian American watching it, like, okay, so people who can understand different languages, right? When you're watching a movie in that language and you're watching it with an American 
you know the nuance they're not getting. Yeah, yeah. You know yeah. the background story. Like again, with this children of men uh, recommendation I gave you, there's gonna be so much subtext you're not even gonna know. You're not even gonna know that. Oh shit, that's him. Them talking shit because he's a Turk or whatever. Like there's certain things you're just not gonna know, right? Yeah, yeah. And those things that they dropped in there, I absolutely love. There's a moment where he buys hamburgers for the mm. girl mm-hmm. right on for the date dude she's a vampire she her food is blood right and so <laughs> that's why she doesn't eat as an iranian uh-huh. man especially if you know because again this was a fictional town supposedly in the country of iran yeah right? yeah yeah so technically in that country you're not allowed to have dates you're not allowed to have dates. You're not allowed to go on dates. And so mm. a date might be your aunt and your sister and whatever in that table at hot dog on a stick. And literally on this side of the you know, wall <laughs> is you and her kind of thing, eating just hot dog on a stick. Then everyone's going home at the date. Right. And I know that if they catch you on a date and there's no chaperones yeah. and you're not married. Yeah. It's bad. Yeah. You're no dude. You're, you're going to go to jail. Yeah. And tortured. Shit. So, so when he brings her hamburgers, the fact that she turned him down, just when you watch it, just watch his mannerisms and how hurt he gets by that because it was a big deal for mm. them to be on a date right, alone. Right. It was mm. a big deal for him to bring, like he made it a date with yeah, the food yeah 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 um but also just chivalrously wanted to give her food and feed her and date, yeah, yeah, yeah you know yeah, and all yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff and so it's so cute yeah, yeah. and touching but yeah. i know american audiences watched that scene without ever feeling that yeah yeah you know what i mean because they yeah. didn't know and they didn't know yeah. or look for that or feel that so i those things i liked and so i did like it I, and in fact oh the guilt is playing at nevada women's film festival this year yeah three years ago lily the director was at she was one of the special guests at the nevada women's film festival and we actually saw her there on a panel mm-hmm. the moderator of that question and answer session yeah was rudy boromand who wrote the script uh, for oh the guilt Mm. <laughs> Iranian connections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, I guess. Um, Did you watch her second film? The film no, that came after that? I didn't. It was okay. It was okay. It was very well done. And very beautifully shot. And she got Jim Carrey, dude, to she play a post-apocalyptic. So, <laughs> dude, there's some high-profile actors. In there. I'll try to check out. There's so many things um, The, the Bad up. Batch. Yeah, dude. Jason Momoa. Keanu really? Reeves. Jim Carrey. That's a big A-list Diego cast. Luna. I feel it like I should have heard Girl Walks Home Alive. Yeah, yeah. And I think yeah, that yeah, was the yeah. issue with it. You know what yeah. I'm saying? yeah. Or like, how are you going to top what you did Yeah, kind of moment? Yeah, It's yeah. good, but again, I don't yeah. know. I was having a conversation with a filmmaker one time. Yeah. And they said something that stung a little, but I took it, you uh-huh. know. They essentially said, hey, basically, I can tell this was directed and edited by you. And what they <laughs> meant was, I didn't prune it enough. And yeah. there's too much. And I, I loved it all, you know, yeah, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it stung, but it's true. It's so true, right? Yeah. If I would have tossed it to an editor, they would have kept just yeah. the perfect moments, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't think she edited it, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? But I, you know, it was one of those situations where- yeah. You're coming up after this film that yeah. 
everyone loved it, yeah. it was a you know film festival sweetheart kind of movie yeah and now you got Keanu and jason momoa and jim carrey <laughs> oh dude you know yeah tough tough i don't know if i could handle that pressure if i were her good foot forward i just i didn't like it as much as girl walks home alone yeah but you know what like again because again we were talking about misconceptions yeah you know, she was kind of breaking those by making the characters live in this fictional town yeah. full of wrong, like Farsi English hybrid yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. actors yeah, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So I, I applauded her for that. But then again, then she gets to Bad Batch with Jason Momoa and it's uh, not yeah. that. <laughs> it's just like a post-apocalyptic thing, which was cool. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, I think they spent a lot of money because there was a lot of green screen effects. And stuff. It's cool. It's cool. Okay. I, I don't want to hate on it, but it just, it wasn't a girl walks home alone. No, no. I thought that was a really special film, but yeah, I recommend all, so all the listeners to check out that film. But yeah, so again, we talked about a lot of different things, Shahab. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Of course. Me. I look forward to- Thanks for having um, me. Yeah, and I look forward to seeing your film, Oh, the Guilt, when it comes out. Um, I'll try to keep an okay, eye and out. And if anyone wants to see uh, like the behind the scenes stuff, whether it's Twitter or Instagram, the hashtag is Oh, the Guilt Film. Yeah, you're all about that hashtag. You know what? It's secretly so I can keep track. Yeah. Because that way, right, when I click on that- yeah. Some people somewhere might hop onto it, but it's so convoluted and whatever that it almost becomes an album. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. oh, here's all the stuff. Yeah, here's yeah, everything yeah. I need yeah, to access. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Thing. And for anyone else, but really, truly, I do it for myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hear you. Again, thank you, Shrop. Um, Can you just quickly let the listeners know where to find you and more about your work and keep up with all the things that you're doing? So if you go to thinkspeak.org that lists information on all the films um there's info on myself on my wife uh gila and from there i think you should have enough there to branch out to whatever if you want to dig you know you want to go in and dig deeper do a google search about the record label or whatever like be my guest. Check out your dance <laughs> promo videos. No. Don't, don't look at TikTok because it's embarrassing. Okay. No, it's not. It's fun. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Zewan. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Rob. Um, and I look forward to hopefully visiting Las Vegas in the future. And, you know, maybe we can meet up. Let me know. But yeah. You, me, and Lance. We'll yeah, hang out. Yeah, totally. All right. Cool. Take it easy. All right. Talk to you later. Okay, bye. Bye. Seeing Color is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Siwon Chung. Additional help with editing by Tokyo Hong and Mandy Tong. Original music by Alex Chow. You can find more information on the website www.seeingcolorpod.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Seeing Color Pod. If you enjoyed this show and have the time, I'd appreciate if you could go to Apple Podcast or wherever you listen and give Seeing Color a five-star review. This really helps others discover the show and gives greater visibility for everyone on Seeing Color. Again, thank you so much for listening and goodbye for now. Hold up. 